Hello and welcome to the Not Boring Tech Writer, where in each episode we talk to the humans behind the docs, sharing stories, experience and expertise to inspire, entertain and give you knowledge and skills you can use in your life as a Not Boring Tech Writer. In this episode, I'm talking to Philip Kiley. I'd describe him as an enterprising and entrepreneurial young tech writer. Uh, he only started his tech writing career fairly recently, but he's already enjoyed a good deal of success. He's recently published his first book, which is called uh, Writing for Software Developers, and it sounds like he's made a lot of really great connections and gathered quite a few really excellent stories along the way. Um, I had a great time recording this episode with Philip. He's He's got some really great experiences already, and he has this kind of fresh outlook and point of view that I found really fun to listen to. So I hope you'll enjoy it too. Okay, I won't keep you any longer, but be sure to stick around after the interview to find out how you can get in touch with us. On with the show. Hi, Philip. How are you doing today? I'm doing really well. How are you? Yeah, I'm really good, thanks. Um, where are you calling from? I'm calling in from Minneapolis, uh, which is in Minnesota, kind of northern United States. Oh, cool. Yeah, I, funnily enough, uh, at the weekend I went to see, uh, I had the great privilege of going to uh, the cinema, and I saw Fargo, which is set kind of in that general area. So uh, I'm I'm familiar with it back in 1996 shall we say well it looks about the same now cold snowy beautiful yeah vast and white and yeah <laughs> that sounds good uh, what's life like for you at the moment well i'm doing a bunch of different stuff i do a lot of technical content i'm selling my own book and i'm also doing a bunch of work for clients right now i'm working on a project for a company called content labs um and yeah, it's just, I, I just sort of write a lot of different stuff, uh, both technical and non-technical for the people who want to read it. That sounds great. Yeah. I know I, I, before we met today, I've obviously had a look at your, your website and things like that. And, uh, I, I say in a genuine way that I'm, I'm, I'm so impressed. How, do you mind me asking how old you are? I'm 21. Okay. So you're, you're, you're fairly young, but you've experienced quite a great deal of, uh, success already in your professional life, which is fantastic. Um, can you tell me a bit about sort of like your your educational and your professional journey? Sure. So, hmm, where should I start? I was born on April 29th, 1999. <laughs> okay. I think we can skip a little bit beyond that. Yeah, there. we can skip ahead a little, I think. <laughs> so, uh, I went to college at a place called Gwinnell College, which is in Gwinnell, Iowa, which is a tiny town in the middle of some big cornfields yeah. in the middle of Iowa. And it's a great school, small liberal arts college, does really well in the national rankings every year and all that stuff because it has a lot of money. Um, and when I was there, I thought I was going to be an econ major because I was super into finance and investing. Okay. And then I made a bunch of friends who were all computer science majors. And one day, a buddy of mine and another buddy of mine dragged me out to this hackathon an hour away in the middle of the worst snowstorm of the year. And uh, the guy driving us there had a, had a terrible time of it. But we get to this building at Iowa State University, this big industrial warehouse looking place. <laughs> and 
we go in there and it smells terrible because there are a bunch of people who are, you know, about to sit around for an entire weekend writing code um, and not taking showers <laughs> and it's noisy uh, and it's cold because it's a warehouse in the middle of winter and there's no beds and no one told me that I needed to bring anything. Uh, and I also had to sneak in because it, this event, you had to be 18 to go to it for like liability reasons and i was 17 so i had to you know lie about my age to get it oh my god i love that like that sort of like um infiltration like you're just like i'm just gonna tell them that yeah yeah you know i had a student id i showed them the student id kind of inconspicuously covering my age with my finger and fortunately this was like another tech person not an actual bouncer at a bar or whatever so it worked out just fine so anyway this was pretty much my introduction to programming right like i was in an intro cs class at the time and I'd done a little bit of it on my own. I thought, hey, maybe this is something I should learn. But this is the first time that I went out to actually make a thing with code was in these conditions. And I loved it. We made the most <laughs> terrible, the most awful JavaScript application this world has ever seen. Uh, it, was a, it was a way of, it's, it's still up on GitHub, unfortunately. What does it do? Sure. So if you're playing Dungeons and Dragons and you want to make a map, uh-huh. Um, it's a it's a isometric map generator. So that's a 2D map that looks 3D. Sure. And uh, well, it, it, not really a generator, more like a, a tool that you can use to build it through incredibly tedious manual dragging and dropping. Uh, we won no prizes that day, but <laughs> it was a wonderful experience. And I, you know, between that and just all of my friends being CS majors, I went off and became a CS major. And that changed my life uh, because I love programming and it turns out that uh, my my econ sensibilities got me far enough to realize that I could get a better job in programming than I could in finance. Mm-hmm. And, and the other thing is that, so on my mom's side of the family, like everyone's writers. Okay. Uh, you know, my grandfather was a professor of writing at the University of Iowa, which has the Iowa Writers Workshop, which is one of the biggest sort of creative fiction and nonfiction workshops in the world. Wow. And my uncle writes for Field and Stream. My mom is an editor. She has an MFA. So everyone, everyone's super authorial over there. Right. And the thing is, normally, if you were to go to college, maybe it would be your parents saying, hey, maybe you should be a CS major. And you saying, no, I'm going to study English because I love it. Yeah. And it was almost the other way around, honestly. Although, uh, of course, my family was super supportive of anything I wanted to do. Um, but, but yeah, it was it was a it was a step away from the traditional career direction to study CS. Sure. But I was eventually able to combine the interest in computer science with the interest in writing, and that you know lifelong experience of just knowing how to write decently well because I had to, and. I was able to take that and combine it into what I have now. Well, that, that, that's quite the story, actually. Um, I, I I still can't quite go over this. Uh, you know, I'm kind of imagining this warehouse in the middle of uh, a cornfield in Iowa, and you sneak in as an underage participant. That's amazing. And as uh, uh, I, I've been uh, a D and D DM a couple of times in my life, so actually, this sounds like a very useful application that you put together there. You say it's the worst, but clearly very useful it it would have been useful if we had been sufficiently advanced in our technical skills 
to have, in my case, written a line of JavaScript before that day, uh, but in general to have uh, made it so that you actually, so that it took anything less than an hour to make anything actually useful with the drag and drop user interface. Right, I see, I see. Well, I mean, you know, great idea, lacking on the execution. I mean, who hasn't been there? Exactly. I noticed as well on your website that you spent a semester abroad at AIT Budapest, which um, I'm told stands for Aquincum Institute of Technology. Um, Was that your first time outside of the US? I think I went to Canada at one point when I was like eight or 10. And then I went to Spain one time in high school. That was really cool. But it was my first time, you know, like living, living outside the US. I was there for about four months. Sure. And what was that experience like, this kind of living abroad experience? I mean, it was amazing. AIT Budapest is a really wonderful program. So it's, it's a really weird school in that it's, it's weird that it exists. So there's this company, it, there's this Hungarian company called Graphisoft, right? Okay. And Graphisoft was founded by a guy named Gabor, which is not particularly unique as lots of people in Hungary, as I discovered a name Gabor. Right. But anyway, this guy, he made this company and it made architectural, like 3D drafting software for Apple computers back when you still had to sneak Apple computers across the border into Hungary because of international restrictions related to the Cold War. Oh my word. This was this was an this was an original company back in the back in the 70s and 80s making this making this software. And it did really really well and you know it's it's still it's still a big company today although it's you know it's been surpassed in size by various competitors in the field, and it's it made its founder a lot of money. Now, Hungary, and Budapest in particular, has a very rich history in the maths and sciences. Lots of very famous mathematicians are Hungarian. Right. And so the founder of Graphisoft decided, hey, you know, I have some money. I'm going to make a school for people from the United States, people from North America to come over to Hungary. He made this school just for study abroad students to come over from Hungary and learn from Hungary's best professors in math and computer science. And so he founded AIT Budapest. It's been around for over a decade at this point. It's an amazing program. The people who run it are incredibly caring about the student experience and making sure that everyone has a really like educational time in addition to an interesting time and then by the way budapest is an amazing city i loved going around it i was i had my mind blown that i could get on a train and go anywhere at any time through the public transit which we did (laughs) not have in iowa for the equivalent of 15 us dollars a month right yeah it, it must have been quite quite the change yeah how did you find it sort of culturally living there yeah, I, I mean, I was kind of in my bubble with a bunch of other American tourists, right? So I'm not sure that I got a fully authentic experience, but I really, I, I this was also the largest city I'd ever lived in at the time right. by big order of magnitude. So it was really cool to be around so many people and to feel like I sort of got to live this this other life that wasn't really mine for a while mm-hmm. and it was because i was there and in this new environment thinking about you know learning all sorts of new things meeting all sorts of new people that 
my mind was, you know, open and ready to change. And that's why I discovered writing technical content. Right. I see. So w- was that mostly through your sort of own research or w- was that through the course that you were taking at the at AIT Budapest? This was entirely self-directed. I've always, every, when I was in school, I always had some project outside of school that I was working on, uh, you know, often to the detriment of my academic performance, unfortunately. Um, but in this case, I was looking for freelancing opportunities, and I found this. I found this company, and I sent them a cold email saying, "Like, hey, I noticed that your website copy is not in particularly well translated English, and I can fix this for you." Mm-hmm. And they got back to me, and they said, "Yeah, here's the GitHub repository. Go fix it." Mm. That was very trusting of them. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I wrote a very trustworthy cold email. <laughs> I'm sure you um, did. <laughs> and so anyway, and then after that, you know, I had the relationship with this company and I noticed that they had a blog and I said, hey, you know, I can write something for your blog if you'd like. And they'd be like, great, go ahead. You know, we'll pay you for that too. And so I did. And then I realized, hang on, this is just like one random company. I bet the other companies that do this. And so I went and found another one. Uh, Floyd Hub uh, was the first like major p- company with a blog that I wrote for. And then I thought, hey, wait, there are, there are companies with blogs. Maybe they're just companies that are blogs. Mm. And so then I went and found Smashing Magazine and I wrote for them. And I've just been you know, building my client portfolio ever since doing, doing these, these pieces of technical content mostly very industry focused focused on you know either it's content marketing or it's just something that's designed to get people to read it because you know that's how you get ads and sponsors and the only way to do that is like make something that people actually want to read that's fantastic what a great uh experience and, and very enterprising to you know take advantages of these um th- these opportunities that presented themselves what the course that you were undertaking at, at the university in budapest what was that like what was what was the content of that yeah, I took all sorts of classes. So Grinnell is a very good college, but it's also a very small college. So the courses are very focused within the computer science department. There's kind of a, a focused track of courses that you can take. Um, and so I was using my opportunity in Budapest to learn about all sorts of new things like cryptography. I would say was my favorite class, uh, but I also took Android development. I took an entrepreneurship course from the founder of the school. Uh, I took a course on Hungarian language and Budapest studies. And I took, I took a lot of CS credits. I honestly don't actually remember all of the classes that I took. Mm. Uh, but I, but I heard that study abroad classes were a little lighter on homework than I might've been used to from my home institution. So I loaded up on like 22 credits or something and just took as much as I could. Yeah, I think it's always an interesting experience to undertake studies in a different country because it can be quite a different style. I myself did a year abroad in Japan and China, and um, certainly uh, on the Japanese side, the home like the sort of homework or the stuff that you're expected to do outside of the university was pretty heavy compared to what I was used to back home. But then in China, it was nearly nothing, and so you just kind of felt like you were going to a class in the morning, and then there wasn't really any follow up. Um, both of which have obviously their advantages and disadvantages, but uh, I think that's great, you know, to have had that experience of of living and 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 working and studying in a different country. Uh, it, it really changes, you know, your your mindset. It really opens your mind, don't you think? 
Yeah, it really does. Regarding the homework bit in particular, I think that's mostly because it's just a school designed for people studying abroad, and they know that people studying abroad don't want to do homework. <laughs> they want to go explore the city and the country and everything. But yeah, th- that you know that experience really came at the right time in my life, and I think that I was able to redirect myself a little bit career-wise and just also in terms of what I was looking to accomplish in my life uh, by by the, the people I met there and the things we did together. So I definitely recommend, you know, going for a study abroad semester is not the only way to get into technical writing, to be clear. No. But <laughs> that would it be- is the way that worked for me. <laughs> um, and if it's, if it's something that's available to any listeners, if you're thinking about it, especially, you know, in, you know, maybe not in the spring semester, but hopefully in the fall semester or the spring semester of next year that you might be able to, you know, head out there and, and check out a new place. I think it's an opportunity worth taking if it's at all available to you. Absolutely. Um, and it's clearly served you very well because uh, th- through reading your website and our communications prior to this uh, recording, uh, you've recently released a book called Writing for Software Developers, um, which, which, is, which looks very interesting. Can you give us a bit of a rundown of what's in there? Yeah, so it's in three parts. The first part is a book about how to write and specifically it's a book about how to write 2000 word articles about technical topics right but only because that's sort of an essential unit that you can take skills from and use to write anything uh, the second section is examples of these art- sorts of articles broken down with here's why i said this here's how i structured this section here's how i think about what a reader already knows at this point you know, it's these annotated examples. And then the third section is all about the business of writing, because being able to craft technical content is a pretty valuable skill, and you're making something that's the the market will pay for. And so it's all about the different opportunities and out there and how you can take advantage of them. And so in co- then, then all three of these, throughout these three sections... There's excerpts from 11 expert interviews because as we established at the beginning of this conversation, I am only 21 years old and thus do not know a lot of things yet. (laughs) So I went out and talked to people who do things and took the things they know, took the things I know, spent six months, you know, squishing them together. And there's the book. Sure, sure. I'm looking at the the cover of it now and it's, it's pretty good. Did someone, did you do that yourself or did someone design that for you? So more behind the scenes on how these sort of projects get made. Uh, Back before my school shut down because of COVID, Mm. uh, I was sitting in my English class. And I look over at the girl next to me and she's doodling. And I notice that the doodle that she's making is really nice looking. And I think, hey, I need a nice independent artist to make a cover for my book. So after English class, I was like, hey, how'd you like to make some money? (laughs) And there we go. Got a cover for my book. Wow. Yeah. No. And and what's the because uh, if if our listeners haven't yet seen it, it's um it's a picture of Shakespeare, uh, writing on a piece of parchment uh, with a quill with a sort of skull in the background. What what's the Shakespearean connection? Yeah. So I for the so when I when I asked um you know the school for my English class when I commissioned the piece, I said, look, I want Shakespeare writing code. That's all I want. <laughs> Within the book, um, the te- the examples are using the the it's it's kind of a multi layer onion here. The 
the example articles have example code in them. And the example code is all about how to, it's, it's, it's this program for taking Shakespeare's sonnets and rearranging them into new sonnets. I see. By rules, rules-based rearranging of lines to find new rhymes and whatnot. So Shakespeare's work shows up quite a bit in the book. Uh, partially because I'm a fan ever since taking a Shakespeare course in college, mostly because his work is universally known and very, very uh, public domain. Cool. Um, well, I wanted to know as well, like, w- w- can you remember if there was a particular point where the, the thought came to you, like, I'm going to write a book? Like, was there, was there a moment, like an initial spark of inspiration? I've got a story for that one too, believe it or not. <laughs> I believe it. <laughs> um, so... Let's head back to that snowy, drafty uh, warehouse in the middle of a cornfield in Iowa. Sure. And then fast forward a year. I'm, uh, I'm at a different hackathon, uh, this one in the very warm student union in, Iowa, in the University of Iowa, which is two hours away from the aforementioned warehouse. Right. And I'm at, a, I'm at another hackathon with one of the guys who I was at the previous hackathon with. Um, because, you know, all my good stories start this way. And while we were there, uh, this was, I think this was actually only the second hackathon I'd ever done. So, okay. So yeah, so this was actually six months after the first one, not a year after misspoke. Mm -hmm. Um, but anyway, I was there, I met this guy, uh, named Ben and Ben worked for a company, an insurance company in Madison, Wisconsin. Um, and Ben was there because his company was one of the sponsors of the hackathon. And he was there to help out teams and assess the candidates at the end and see which team would win his sponsor's prize. And I thought, and 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 I figured that, you know, if they were there, it was also because they were hiring. And so I figured I might as well go win Ben's prize. And so my, my buddy, who is less... Uh, corporation inclined than i am uh was perhaps not thrilled when i suggested that we build a app to help credit union members remember to save money but i figured that's the sort of thing that would really appeal to someone who's from an insurance company that partners with credit unions so uh, you know we fired up flask we built this thing i was still a very new programmer at this time and he was only a little bit more experienced. So it was still a good challenge to build this. You know, we learned, we pulled out Twilio for the first time and learned how to send text messages. And that was really fun. <laughs> yeah. And then I, you know, put together this this nice little pitch about the application. And Ben liked it so much that not only did we win the category, but after the event, he hired me. Oh, fantastic. Uh, that was how I got my first technical job. I was actually a data scientist on his team. Uh, for about nine months part-time during college, which was super cool because I was making money and learning things I wasn't learning in classes. And that's great. What a great result. Yeah. And so, you know, good things come from come from undergraduate hackathons in Iowa. That's that's kind of my uh that's how it that, sounds. that's kind of one of my key takeaways here. <laughs> yeah. Again, it's like I'm only able to offer your listeners very poor, very specific advice because, you know, if you're not from you know, Iowa, Iowa State, you're just basically out of luck trying to trying to apply my exact path. So you're just going to have to find your own and tell your own story. Apparently so. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so anyway, I'm getting a little long winded here because this is all the setup yeah. uh, because so anyway, I leave that job, go to a different one, go to a different one, whatever, whatever. 
couple years later, I get, an, I get a message from Ben. Now, I should say that Ben is a very smart guy. He also has a PhD um, and way more industry experience than I have. So Ben sends me this email. He says, hey, Philip, I noticed you've been writing in a bunch of different places, and I would like to do the same. And I was like, oh, cool. I'm sure you know everything you need to know about how to do that. And he was like, no, actually, like you probably know more about this because you've been actually doing it. Um, I will pay you to help me learn how to do it. And I was like, oh, <laughs> hang on a second. This guy is way better at everything than I am, except for this one thing. And he thinks I'm enough better that he'll pay me for it. I bet other people would do that too. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. So, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, I help him out, you know, month, a month or two goes by and I decide, all right, you know what? I'm going to write a book. You know, it's the family tradition, right? I'm going to write a book. Mm. Um, so it's uh, Thanksgiving break. I'm at my, I'm at my mom's house and i've got a bunch of friends with me there too because that's what we do on thanksgivings is we bring as many people in from grinnell college as possible and anyway i tell her i'm gonna write a book and i explain the whole thing to her and she's like that's great because i've told her that i'm gonna write a book a lot of times before that never actually delivered any books um but this time you know i make an i make an outline i try and found a publisher uh, the publisher said no, which I'm very grateful for because otherwise I wouldn't have made nearly as much money. Um, I, I, I do, I do all the interviews, you know, uh, COVID happens, shuts down my college. Uh, this is March of 2020. Mm. I go home, I sit in front of my computer for two months straight in my pajamas, writing nonstop. Uh, I somehow still pass all my classes. Um, and I launched the book six days before I graduate from college. Um, and by the time graduation rolls around, I've racked up about $20,000 in sales. That's the story. Wow. And that's quite a story. Um, you mentioned before that, and I saw from your website that there's quite a number of interviews in this book, some with some pretty prominent names in the industry. How did you manage to land quite so many? Yeah. So I wrote a second book actually, that's all about this called cold email for interesting people. Right. But at the moment, uh, because it's because it's just such a small project, I'm giving it away for free. So I might as well also just tell you exactly what I did. Um, it's pretty simple. I sent him an email. Not 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 only did I send them an email, I sent them a very short basic email. Because really, the thing is, these people are, as you said, high profile. They're super busy. Nothing I say in an email message beyond just briefly stating my case is going to convince them to do something that they do not intrinsically want to do. Sure. So I just reached out to them. I said, hey, I'm writing a book. I think you're really cool. But I didn't just say, I think you're really cool. Like, I actually did a bunch of research on them. Mm. And so I was able to say, I think you're really cool in a way that was specific and meaningful to them in particular. And then I said, you know, can I have 30 minutes of your time to to do an interview for this book? And I sent a lot of those emails, by the way. I didn't send 11 of them. I sent maybe close to 100. Right. Wow. So so these are just the people who said yes. Um, well, I mean, it cl and, clearly and yeah, it that's, that's the whole secret. Yeah, that's the whole. And it really did. Like, I, I, I know for a fact, you know, no one knew who I was when I launched this book. Um, so I know for a fact that. I would not have had nearly the success that I did if I wasn't able to stick everyone else's name on the cover too. Well, it's not on the cover, but you know, on the sales page, because 
not only was it instrumental for people on Hacker News, which drove a lot of my early sales, not only was it instrumental for them taking the book seriously and you know managing to overlook the fact that I hadn't even graduated from college yet and I was trying to teach them how to do technical content, um, but those many of the people involved with the book also helped me promote it on Twitter, on their own websites, which were super awesome, very grateful for that. Um, so none of the you know massive success financially of the book came from me having done anything right other than just being able to borrow other people's audiences and then give them a positive return on the credibility that they invested in my work. Sure. I mean, that's that's kind of what it's all about, I guess. Um, and, and as you say, you, it sounds like you had a sort of 10% success rate, but clearly that was enough to, you know, inject a real amount of sort of uh, other people's expertise uh, into the book and, and lend it some credibility. It, I think it's a really fantastic sort of uh, first major project that's clearly been very successful. Just to round off um, this section about the book, um, were there any snags or setbacks that you had or any funny stories in the in the making of? I mean, so many. I think the biggest setback was that right in the middle of my writing process, just as I was heating up and really getting in my rhythm and fitting it in around my coursework and whatever, you know, we got an email from the president of the college saying everyone's got to go home. Sure. <laughs> um, so I really didn't get much done that week in particular. No. Um, but then afterwards, I was able to have a lot more time to focus. Um, you know, the you know the process of getting the interviews way more straightforward than people think. I mean, I mean, honestly, the whole the the story. The reason I spend so much time on the story of the beginning and the end is because that's the part that tends to be interesting to other people. All that was in the middle was just a lot of sitting there looking at my computer and typing. It was just putting in the hours. Like, I wish, you know, I wish I had some, some intense wisdom to give, but it was really just, you know, showing up every day and sitting down and working on the book. And then, you know, my... Here's a good story. Um, how I got uh, how I got my book professionally edited. Mm. So as I mentioned, uh, my mom is my mom is an editor, right. and you know she charges you know good good rates for for her work because she's been doing it for twenty years and she's pretty good at it. Mm -hmm. And so I, you know, I got I got a nice uh, you know sun discount um, <laughs> in that I paid for my professional editing by buying her a new printer and a new microwave. Oh, but that's um, nice though. So, so yeah, so that was, that was instrumental uh, to be honest, to the, to the publishing of the book and having it be the quality that it is because I finished the draft like more than a month before we put it out. Um, there was a round of beta reading that I organized among my friends from college there was a round of um, copy editing from her. There was a round of proofreading from her. And then there was a final like read aloud. So between between her and other people and me, the book went through three complete back and forth cycles of editing. So, you know, lots and lots of pairs of eyes on it, um, which is why when you go through it, like the 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 content is, you know, polished to the to a level that you don't often get from self-published books and that's entirely just because i had access to all of these people to help me yeah no that's great um i i guess there probably was a moment where you got it back from the, from her for the first time and it was covered in red lines and you were like oh no i mean that's been happening since i was like five years old so i'm used to it <laughs> you're used to it by now um yeah 
so yeah, I mean, having had a look um, on your website and and at some of the some of your book, it's it's really clear from its contents that you feel that being a strong writer first and foremost is an important skill to have in the developer world. Can you tell us a bit about why why you think that's so important? So the first thing I want to preface this with is saying that. Part of my belief is that most software developers, if you're not already a strong writer, you have the innate ability to become one. Sure. Because languages are something that we learn all the time. We're constantly figuring out how to express ourselves very precisely and often beyond that, trying to express yourself eloquently or beautifully in code. And you can do the same thing in writing. It's just for a different audience. It's for a person, not a compiler. So I think that the idea that a lot of software developers aren't good writers, you know, comes from, you know, a, a sort of a sort of what kind of nerd are you posturing uh, where, you know, we're, we're, we're tech people. So we can't hang out with those arts people, <laughs> yeah. uh, but that couldn't be further from the truth in, in my experience. And I think in a lot of people's experience. And the thing is, if you're a person working in technology, then you probably make stuff. And if you make stuff, you're probably making it so that other people can use it. Maybe you're just making stuff for yourself to use. That's totally cool. But some of the biggest projects are things that people made for themselves to use. Think all the different open source tools where the author just made it for themselves. And then suddenly it's a worldwide standard. Think, you know, yeah. Git, you know, tech, all of these different fundamental technologies. And part of the reason that a lot of these caught on is because the authors were making them for themselves, but also explaining how to use them really clearly. So if you make something and you want someone to use it, you got to tell them how to use it. And that's that that's the that's the fundamental thing behind technical communications. Absolutely. And then just beyond that, if you're trying to, you know, advance your career, build a build a public presence, you know, build a profile as a freelancer, or any of this sort of stuff. If you can actually put some words together that someone's going to take the time to read, which is a higher, you know, someone's time is a pretty high bar to clear uh, being worth that. Mm -hmm. But if you can do that, then that's going to take you a long way because it's, you know, kind of like you can have a program out there and existing on a server somewhere doing work for you. You can have a piece of content out there existing on a server doing work for you. It's just doing a different kind of work. Sure. So, yeah, I think I think that writing... Writing well is a something that developers can learn very easily um, and something that developers can become uniquely good at in certain ways. And then a really powerful tool to have in your toolbox. And one that, by the way, actually, some, tool, some tools get less valuable if more people can do them. You know, if, if you're one of the few people who knows how to program in some obscure language that people really need, like if you're, if you're the one person who can go in and debug that COBOL from 1960 that's still running the you know infrastructure at your at your financial services company that's really valuable but if a hundred people can do it it's a little less valuable sure the more people who there are who are great writers the more valuable great writing is because you're going to be able to use it as a tool as a universal tool across your team in order to communicate better and avoid issues with projects, better document your work, all this sort of stuff. So so the more people who are great writers, the better it is for all the rest of us who are great writers. Yeah, that absolutely makes sense. It's kind of about making yourself indispensable or making sure you have skills that sort of com complement others quite well. 
which actually leads us, leads us quite neatly uh, into what I wanted to ask you next, which was when we were speaking prior to the show, you told me that you feel that these skills are especially important when working in teams. Can you tell me a bit more about that? Yeah. So working in a team environment, you have to be able to explain yourself even when you're not there. You know, I could call up if I'm if I'm on a team of eight people, I could call up all the other seven people one by one and walk them through how a piece of code I wrote works. But from my side, that's an ON algorithm, right? Mm. The, the more people who I want to have use my code, the more people who I have to explain my code to. Yeah. Or I can perform the O1 operation of writing down how my code works and then I'm done. And anyone who wants to use it can go reference that. And that applies for much more than just how your code works too. It applies to everything about what you're working on, why you're working on it, that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to be working in a team and communicating, you know, even over Slack or email or whatever, then having this having this skill is really useful to be able to communicate precisely. Sure, sure. Um, great. Well, I wanted to say as well, you know, here uh, at the Not Boring Technical Writer, uh, we're big believers in and promoters of uh, the power of forming tech writing communities, just talking about teams. Um, are, are you personally a part of any sort of writing communities? And and what do you think about this kind of organization and collaboration? For example, um, uh, write the docs or I'd rather be writing. Or is this something you've had any experience with? Yeah, I've heard of these places. You know, I definitely hope that one day I'm going to be able to go do conferences and this sort of stuff because meeting all these people sounds really cool. Um, but to be honest, you know, I came into the, by the time I was really a part of this community, you know, all of in-person events and whatnot had been shut down. So I think that I kind of, in some ways, just due to timing, haven't really joined the broader industry as deeply as I might have been able to otherwise mm. if, you know, all of the in-person events were going on, if I was working in person, you know, yeah, the original plan was for me to be working at a company in Boston as a software developer. So if I was, you know, in downtown Boston uh, doing all this stuff, then I might have a much closer integration with the community than I do at the moment. So what I do instead is I just, you know, come do stuff like come on a podcast with you and meet you and, (laughs) you know, get to know who you are. And I do that. And then, you know, maybe a few people in your audience find out who I am and send me emails. And then we have some nice conversations. So I've just been kind of doing it ad hoc like that. Yeah. But absolutely, you know, one day, one day I definitely want to be uh, a part of these professional organizations and, and get to meet a bunch of people whose work I've read and whatnot. Yeah. No, I appreciate you saying that actually about the podcast. Uh, you know, the Not Brain Tech Writer in itself, I suppose, constitutes a kind of community. We do have a, a, a large community of people who listen and um, and hopefully they're listening along and, and they like what you've got to say. Yeah, if they haven't got totally bored of me just telling stories. No, no. <laughs> I remember on our last episode, we were talking about how um, there are quite a lot of tech writers who are sort of lone tech writers, that they don't have a team or they are the only person in their organization that does what they do. And um, and part of why a podcast like this can help is because it helps them feel like they do have, uh, they're listening to sort of pseudo colleagues speaking about the issues and trends in the industry that they might not have around them physically. Uh, certainly not now, but you know, in in the before times, as it were. Um, so you know, that's that's part of what we really like to do here uh, at the podcast. 
you know, that really makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And, uh, you know, to, 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 to anyone out there who's doing technical content, uh, yes, if you, if you need to pretend that I am at your office with you, uh, feel free, you know, I'm, I'm a great, I'm a great, uh, teammate, I hope, uh, you know, <laughs> especially when I don't exist. <laughs> Um, Philip, it's been it's been great speaking to you. As we as we move towards sort of the end of our our time here, um, you know, you've clearly enjoyed considerable success in your few short years in the industry. With a view to giving advice to folks out there who are wanting to get into the tech comms game, um, if you could go back and visit yourself before you started out and give yourself any advice, sort of in hindsight, what might that be? To be honest. I wouldn't really change anything. You know, the, the, the stuff that I messed up, I had to mess up so that I could learn how to mess it up. Sure. Um, and the stuff that I did well, I was fortunate enough to be able to recognize, hey, that went pretty well. I should do that over and over again as much as I can. Um, but in general, it's just like, you just have to put yourself out there. You know, I was... It's not like I came into this industry with a bunch of pre-existing connections. Mm. Every, every pitch I've ever done is a cold pitch. You know, even coming on this podcast was just a cold email. So I think that that's kind of the number one thing I can recommend is just, you know, I, I was already sending cold emails. It's something I've always done, mm. but I would just tell myself, hey, for every cold email you think you're going to send, send two, send three. Right. You know, really put yourself out there and expose yourself to as many opportunities as you can. Yeah. Cast the net wide. Um, funnily enough, on our most recent episode before this one, um, we had a snippet of Ted Hudeck, who is, who is, I think he was a technical writer for Microsoft. Um, and his sort of philosophy was just ask, you know, and that sounds like sort of the spirit of what you're saying there. Exactly. That's, that's, you know, see, this is why he's a technical writer at Microsoft and I just, you know, write articles is because it took me, I don't know how many words in some random order to say that and took him to just ask. I'm stealing that for sure. <laughs> well you might want to ask him first i think it's part of his yeah i'm sure it's fine look look here, here's here's the deal if you if you if you steal something from one person that's theft if you steal something from a hundred people that's research <laughs> i saw that as well that's not original <laughs> that that works well for that particular quote then so um what's next for you philip what's in what's in the pipeline at the moment yeah so um Taking the long view, up front, I'm trying to revise this thing that I wrote in two weeks in November last year called Cold Email for Interesting People into a more fully featured product that people can actually use to apply my methods to also just ask as it is. Um, so yeah, keep an eye out for that coming out You know, sometime, hopefully in the future shortly. Uh, that's, that's about how good I am with timelines, by the way. Um, and then the big project <laughs> is a second edition of writing for software developers, which is going to take a long time. Like if you're listening and you're thinking, eh, I should wait until the second edition. No, just go buy it right now um, <laughs> because it's going to take me at least a year and a half to get this thing ready. Because the issue is I got to go experience things like I got to do the work before I can write about doing the work. Yeah. So really you know, what's, what's, what's coming up next for me is I, I realized that there are some more things that I want to teach. And so I need to learn them. Um, so it's just about going out and doing that. Yeah. I, I guess right now is we're all a bit restricted, so it's, uh, it's kind of difficult to go out there and get that real world experience, but, uh, hoping that things, uh, 
improve soon and you'll be able to go and do exactly that. Yeah, and fortunately, a lot of the real-world experience I'm trying to get does come behind the bars of a keyboard. So I'm just, you know, trying to trying to explore more formats, more opportunities, more structures, just to have a better understanding of everything that's going on and the different types of work that people do. Yeah, sure thing. Um, so, so where can people find you online if they want to find out more about you or want to get in contact with you? Yeah, so hopefully they can find me in the description of this podcast episode. They certainly can. But the uh, the best place, the central hub, is a website called philipkiley.com. And on there, you can find my books. You can find stuff I've written for myself, stuff I've written for clients, uh, cool pictures of me parading around Des Moines, all sorts of, all sorts of different Philip-related things are on this website. So yeah, anything I've talked about on this episode, there's going to be something on my website about it. Um, and definitely the page that I would love for people to check out is philipkiley.com slash WFSD, uh, where I'll give you a good sales pitch for writing for software developers, and then you'll buy it, and then you'll be like, wow, this is such an amazing book. I'm so glad I bought it. <laughs> there you go, folks. Yeah. philipkiley.com for all of your Philip-related needs. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, Philip, thanks so much for, for your time today. It's been really great chatting to you. You're a very interesting chap um, with a lot of uh, success behind you already, and I wish you all the best in the future. Well, thanks so much. I've had a lot of fun recording this podcast, and I wish every podcast I just got to talk about random stories from my life like I was a grandpa. This has been so much fun. <laughs> I think you're playing yourself down there. I think we've had a few really good technical insights in what you said, uh, but you've had quite a unique journey so far, and I think people really will really appreciate uh, hearing about that. So thanks so much for sharing with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. And, uh, you know, if, if you're still here, thanks for listening. <laughs> thanks, Philip. Take care. Bye. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to this episode of The Not Boring Tech Writer. I hope you enjoyed yourself. Just a few notes here at the end of the show. We love to hear from you, so if you want to get in contact with us about anything we've said over the course of this podcast, you're welcome to get in touch with us at NotBoringTech on Twitter. Um, we also have a contact form on our website, so if you head on over to thenotboringtechwriter.com and click on contact, you can also get in touch with us that way. Um, thanks very much again to Philip Kiley for being such a fantastic guest on the show. And if you want to be a guest, why don't you get in touch? Can't hurt. You're very welcome to get in touch and uh, find out uh, whether you can be a guest on the podcast through Twitter or on the website. So uh, that's everything for now. Until next time, uh, I'm Gerard Doran, and you are the Not Boring Tech Writer.